everybody and welcome to episode 193 of the Find Your Model Health podcast, the podcast for those looking to optimize their long-term health and weight goals and understand how their body works. This is the second episode in... Um, this week's podcast week where I'm trying to get through as many topics as I can. If you don't know me and you just happen to stumble across this episode, I am your host. I am Shmaine Linney. I'm a fitness and nutrition expert, certified iridologist and biohacker. And again, I'm very happy to have you spend some of your time with me today. So in this podcast episode, this topic is super common. I get it almost every day. I would even go so far as to say multiple times a day. Um, We're looking at sleep in menopause. But before I go on, I must emphasize that the information in these podcast episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please do consult your healthcare practitioner before making any lifestyle changes. So sleep problems are very common. Uh, It's one of the most common questions that I'll ask my clients regularly, like literally on a daily basis, I'll say, good morning, how did you sleep? Or how did you sleep last night? Or how was your sleep? Or how has your sleep been? If you're my client, you're nodding because yes, I do. Because depending on your sleep, it can give me a big indication of what your day is going to look like, but also what your other biomarkers are going to look like in regards to inflammation, energy, fluid retention, cravings, stuff like that. So sleep is number one. Well, apart from breathing, but we have to do that. Like we automatically do that. But sleep is number one when it comes to health. You can survive without exercise. You can survive for a while without food, but you cannot survive very long without sleep. So sleep has to be a priority. But Sleep problems are so, so common and based on the last 18 months or so, sleep problems are a bigger issue than they were in the past. Like I have always in my career spoke to women that have had sleep issues, but never have I spoken to so many women and even men that are having such severe sleep issues as in the last 18 months. And of course we'll attribute that to stress and worry and anxiety. But when we look at women, sleep problems affect about 40 to 50% of women. I would guess it's even more because it's rare that I'll speak to a woman that has perfect sleep habits and quality. Um, but sleep issues can be quite debilitating to the point of insomnia for women in their perimenopausal years. And our perimenopausal years are those years where we start seeing um, sporadic events with our PMS and our period or menstruation appearing every couple of months so that irregularity we might see the hot flashes we might see some weight gain if it's not happening already but that those are those years and it's often made worse by night waking caused by those hot flashes or the night sweats that we also um 
recognize as part of perimenopausal. So if you're experiencing them, then of course your sleep's going to be a lot worse. Um, generally, before I go on though, most of the time I see severity of hot flashes and night sweats are connected to two things. One is stress. Stress is a big driver of hot flashes and night sweats. And then um, blood sugar imbalances. That would be the second one. Usually we can balance both of those out. And there is a lot of research that says your stress will determine how severe your perimenopause and menopause years are. Um, but if we can balance the stress or at least mitigate it or manage it better and then absolutely balanced blood sugars like that's not too hard then generally I see my clients hot flashes and night sweats improve and dare I say many of them disappear they don't get them anymore but even women who have slept well their whole lives they can find themselves having disrupted sleep starting at some time in their mid-30s um, maybe 40s which can then often be an early sign of perimenopause. And I kind of stuttered there when I said mid-30s to 40s because I've noticed that women can start experiencing symptoms earlier now because of the stressful environment and times that we live in. And stress can very much bring on early menopause too. So that is something to consider. But typically women wake up in the middle of the night unable to fall back asleep. Um, most of the time they just lie there staring at the ceiling. Most of the time they're troubled by worrisome thoughts. So this would be anxiety. Um, and then sometimes woken by night sweats. Now, you don't have to be in perimenopause or menopause to experience this. I mean, this is just common. These are the symptoms of insomnia. And usually most insomnia that I see with my clients is caused by cortisol imbalances um, and that anxiety that coincides with that. And if we can push down the cortisol and push the body into deep quality sleep with some adaptogens and maybe amino acids, usually I see it turn around pretty quickly. Um, even some GABA can be really helpful there. Um, but it, when it comes to the hormonal aspect of things, yes, that can play a part in that insomnia. But just because our hormones might make it more challenging, it doesn't mean that it can't be fixed and it definitely doesn't mean that our need for sleep is any less. So poor sleep can make everything else feel miserable and harder from cravings to energy to irritability with your kids. So sleep is critical to your mood and your mind and your motivation and lack of sleep um, aggravates many other symptoms that are common in menopause like inflammation and brain fog, memory loss, depression, aches and pains, all these other discomforts. So rather than resigning to potentially years of suffering with disrupted sleep, why don't we look at some strategies for improving your sleep during the night? And I've already mentioned a couple of them. Um, but let's just look at what causes sleep problems in menopause. Well, anxiety is a big one, and those hormonal changes in perimenopause are largely responsible for wreaking havoc on your sleep. Since both the estrogen and progesterone have a role in sleep, Declining levels in menopause can cause sleep 
disturbances. So lower estrogen levels are also responsible for other common menopausal symptoms um, like those irritating and uncomfortable hot flashes and night sweats and it's not just the lower estrogen levels but also the lower estrogen in ratio to progesterone so if you've listened to my other podcasts especially around female hormones i've mentioned many times how important recognizing those ratios are so the ratio of estrogen to progesterone we always want to keep them in a nice range um But those hot flashes and night sweats, they make sleep harder, but they also then will push you more towards that anxious state and depressive state that put you in this vicious cycle that make it even harder to fall asleep. So you really are stuck in this cycle. Um, On top of that, melatonin can, uh, I'm saying can naturally decrease with age because it's produced from serotonin whose production is dependent on adequate estrogen levels and the lower estrogen state can also then of course have that ripple effect on lower melatonin levels but there's other things that play a part in here like this is not definitive but this is one way that estrogen and the hormones can mess up the sleep Um, and then of course if you have a lot of stress then you're going to further deplete or inhibit melatonin production so while all of these shifts are natural and hormone are natural and normal to an extent it can really become a triple hormonal whammy that's not setting you up for sleep success and I say they're natural and normal to an extent because maybe a hundred years ago or so they were natural and normal Now I feel that many of our so-called natural and normal processes are being impaired and impacted by unnatural and unnormal factors. So um, there's a lot to be considered. Um, So sleep has to be number one. Apart from the obvious about how miserable we feel when we're exhausted and poor sleep drives us to crave more sugar and more carbs as the body and especially your brain craves energy and it's looking for its fastest, quickest source of energy, which of course is glucose. When I have poor sleep, don't even look at me my inflammation goes through the roof so first i'll feel it in my face and my head my face will feel extra warm but if i take my temperature it won't be i'll just feel that inflammation which is latin for on fire i'll have a headache i'll feel pressure and swelling in my cranium so again my brain is inflamed um i'll be super irritable i'll be very dehydrated i then will experience fluid retention and inflammation in my extremities so my feet will swell my hands will get stiff i know this sounds like a nightmare but this is this actually happens to me so sleep is so important to me like if you're a client of mine you won't be surprised to hear that sometimes I'm in bed at 8 30 and I have no shame at all because I'm a high performer um, on the mental level in the aspect of needing to study and provide and support my clients and then on the physical level I would consider myself an athlete um, 
so I need that sleep to recover and regenerate and restore my mitochondrial health and make sure I'm producing energy properly. Like I need sleep to perform optimally on every level. Um, so when I don't get sleep, I feel it and I have a lot of body awareness, um, which I think is key to good health and being optimal is being aware. So insomnia or crappy poor sleep is associated with that inflammation that I've mentioned, the decreased sense of well-being or of quality of life. Like your, your day is not going to be great if you've had poor sleep. You will not have an optimal day. You'll have increased anxiety and depression and irritability. You'll have headaches. There is potential for migraines. I have gotten migraines from that increased inflammation around my neck and my cranium. There is an increased risk of accidents. Car accidents are more common in people with impaired sleep and most people forget about that. I mean, I am definitely not as sharp after a poor night's sleep. Then we have the higher systolic blood pressure. That is inflammation of the blood and the tissues which causes higher blood pressure. So you also might experience some vertigo and some dizziness there as well. There's weight gain. That can be from many factors. That can be that inflammation, fluid retention, swelling, but also toxic overload, the increased carbs that you'll probably have. Um, increased cravings, all of these things that can contribute to weight gain and then your cognitive issues like brain fog, forgetfulness, inability to focus, all that sort of stuff. Again, irritability. I've said irritability about eight times now because that's a big thing for me when I'm tired. Uh, and I know it is for lots of my clients too, because I speak to them. I know what their traits are. I know what the biomarkers look like. Um, but it's also important not to just chalk poor sleep up to menopause, like I said. So we do have those stress factors, anxiety. That's not just what comes with perimenopause or menopause. That can just be life. That can just be a parent. That can be a bad relationship. We've got alcohol. Did you know that Anything over three drinks a week for a woman is cause, is considered binge drinking. Not many people know that. I usually recommend to my clients to stick with that one to three drinks range a week. Um, and usually that's on like our refeed day or our feast day. But um, so these can impair sleep. So stress, alcohol, um, use of recreational substances, um, over-the-counter prescription medications, um, gut issues. These can all cause sleep problems. A big part of um, sleep issues I see also with my clients is toxic overload. So if your body is overloaded with toxins, then I see a lot of sleep issues there because you're experiencing a lot of aches and pains and the body is in a stress state because it's being attacked from all these toxins. And that can even go for bacterial and fungal overgrowths too. Then also we have underlying medical issues, um, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression, restless leg syndrome, reflux, thyroid problems, um, sleep apnea, cognitive congestive heart failure, and more. Um, these can also contribute to insomnia, but I have to throw it in here, is that most of those that I have just listed 
are directly connected to inflammation and toxic overload in the body. Um, and I did a podcast a few weeks ago on restless leg syndrome, and I've done one on re- I've done one on all of them. So go back and check them out if you want more information. But inflammation is our huge key factor there. Um, so what do we do to approach getting better quality sleep in menopause and even perimenopause? For many women, it's not always easy, but I've seen it being quite easy for a lot of women, especially if we take the correct approach. So um, some women can just do very well with a simple approach of tea and collagen. Um, And then some women may need hormone replacement therapy. Um, That said though, we shouldn't feel like dealing with erratic hormones is normal or an acceptable way to live without help. There are gentle approaches. It doesn't have to be like this. We can support your body and prevent a lot of these things from happening and ease the transition of symptoms with like our herbs and our supplements and our lifestyle approaches, making your body more metabolically flexible. Um, So sleep is one of those areas that we can make a world of difference in if we really pay attention and ask for help and then take action. Um, so one thing I'm notorious for is my routines that I use with my clients. I always say that a good sleep at night starts as soon as you wake. So I have my clients and they have their morning routines and the design of the morning routines is optimizing the hormonal cycles and patterns and then how they eat during the day further encourages optimized hormonal um, capacity and processes. So everything we do throughout the day is constantly designed to optimize how the body works on every level from mitochondria function to the hormonal aspect of things. Um, So there's a a lot you can do, but we want to start in the morning. We want to get some sunlight for sure and some fresh air first thing in the morning. Maybe you were always the type of person who would just get up and go, 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 and then crash into sleep the moment your head hit the pillow, or in some cases, the moment you sit down on the couch in the evening. Um, But for most women, we need to have routines. We work optimally on routines. Like we are best when we have structure and routines in our lives. So Having a good morning routine and a good evening routine is very important. So good sleep starts as soon as you wake and then we we further encourage that good sleep as we move through our day. And I must just remind you that as soon as we wake in the morning, that's when we get our spike of cortisol. That's that get up and go, get the kids out the door, we're going to be late hormone. So that's the get you up and get you out the door hormone. And then in a natural, optimal functioning body, that cortisol should start to come down or deplete as we move through our day, being at its lowest around 6 p.m. And that's where our melatonin starts to come in. So melatonin is the hormone that doesn't put us to sleep. It's the hormone that helps push us into deep quality sleep. But that means that around 6 p.m., 
potentially 7 p.m. depending on the season and where you live in the world but in that 6 to 7 p.m. range that's when you should be starting to wind down and sending signals to your body that hey we need to start getting ready for rest soon so we're going to be doing some external signaling simple things like turning the lights down um, doing some self-care maybe an Epsom salt bath um, turning off electronics now you can listen to podcasts or music but we want to start limiting that exposure to blue light you could maybe do some sort of journaling you can read a magazine um, but you definitely want to stay off any electronics one hour before bed especially if you have goals to hit and you're serious about those goals and sleep is an issue this is really important and I say that because so many people don't do it they say their health is a priority to them and they absolutely feel miserable and want to hit their goals yet they're reluctant to turn off their electronics or devices an hour before bed so that really makes me think on how motivated someone actually is to change their habits and hit their goals um but so next would be alcohol skip the alcohol many people think that alcohol can help put you asleep it doesn't alcohol impairs sleep it can knock you out in the sense that it pushes down cortisol like we mentioned should happen around 6 p.m but there's other ways we can do that but it actually impairs you getting into REM sleep and your deep sleep so you actually don't get good quality sleep and it's been shown that even a modest amount of up to an hour so alcohol up to an hour before bedtime can reduce melatonin production by nearly 20 percent and it's probably one of the biggest triggers of hot flashes that I can think of apart from consuming some sort of sugar before bed plus it makes you feel depressed and it can be a risk for breast cancer too so I like my clients to enjoy their good organic biodynamic wines or alcohols but once a week on the weekend so we've got to pick and choose our battles this comes back to the balance idea I always speak of I didn't make up the rules I just you just cannot have whatever you want every day whenever you want and expect the body and the health of your dreams there has to be balance and this is just how the body works so keep it to one to three drinks a week you know some weeks I don't even want to drink I don't even feel like a glass of wine and then some weeks I feel like two glasses of wine so really have that self-awareness and play it by ear and if you are going to have alcohol of course we want it to be the cleanest alcohol that you can get your hands on which is not too hard nowadays um, we want to I was speaking about this to a client earlier and when she listens to this she knows she'll know I'm talking about her we want to keep your bedroom temperature no higher than 67 degrees Fahrenheit so pretty cool at night I like my room pretty cool if I'm to get into deep sleep and it's been shown that that is the ideal sleeping temperature um, which encourages sleep and also wear light sleep where cotton is always best because cotton is quite airy and it can keep you cool um, so for my European followers um, 
67 degrees Fahrenheit. We don't work in Fahrenheit, so if you work in Celsius like I do, that's about 19 degrees Celsius, and that's pretty good for getting into that deep sleep. Um, and then we want to look at keeping your room as dark as possible and as quiet as possible. So important. Blackout blinds are very important. You don't even want the street lights interfering with your sleep. And then you want silence. Um, so when we look at herbs and supplements for sleep, melatonin can be a good one especially as people get older, but it's not something I recommend often. I try to recommend other strategies before I go to the melatonin because melatonin can further impair our um, own production of melatonin. And then there's a lot of people that don't actually need melatonin. And when they take melatonin, it literally messes them up. They will feel groggier. They'll feel lethargic. They'll feel pretty much gross the next day. And that's a sign that you actually don't need melatonin. Um, we can also use magnesium of course um, but we can pair calcium with that so a combination of calcium magnesium or even just magnesium alone can promote relaxation this is where your Epsom salt baths can come in um, uh, but that combination of calcium magnesium just as a side note can help prevent bone loss associated with perimenopause and menopause. Magnesium is also excuse me, great for restless leg syndrome, spasms, muscle cramps, charley horses, all that sort of stuff. Um, I like magnesium between three to 600 milligrams. Magnesium citrate is usually the one I'll recommend first, but I like um, magnesium taurate is a great one. I use elemental magnesium. Um, I like torn citrate a lot. I'll recommend that to clients a lot, but um, if you find that magnesium is bloating you or causing diarrhea, then you know you're taking too much. And usually, um, if someone drinks a lot of mineral water, they're getting enough magnesium from that, that they may not even need a magnesium supplement at all. And when they do take a magnesium supplement, we'll see those Rainier bells and the bloating happen there. So that's something to be aware of. 5-HTP or 5-hydroxytryptophan can be helpful. Tryptophan, of course, is known for helping us get into that relaxation state. So it's a precursor to the neurotransmitter serotonin, but carbohydrates are also precursors too. But 5-HTP doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, not a lot of people will feel the benefits to that. So I usually, again, it's something I am hesitant to recommend. I tend to go with our adaptogenic herbs first. I look at, I use Tulsi and ginger a lot. Like that works like gangbusters in my experience. And also a good ashwagandha. Um, that also is an adaptogenic herb um, found in traditional Ayurvedic medicine. And it's used to help push down the cortisol and calm and strengthen the nerves and promote sound, restful sleep. So ashwagandha can be great. Most of my clients, though, I'll start with the Tulsi and ginger. 
and then I'll add in some collagen so that glycine amino acids are essential for helping with anxiety and depression but also for pushing us into that deep quality sleep so they're usually my go-to's then we can look at valerian, lemon balm, passion flower, and of course our chamomile can be great for sleep. Um, those herbs are all great. Uh, like valerian can be act like a sedative. Lemon balm is a calming adaptogen too. But I again, I'll usually encourage my clients to start with tulsi and ginger tea first, and then if that doesn't go, then we start looking at other things or other. Um, other maybe biohacks that we can add in. I also do like skullcap and lavender can be good. I'd prefer if someone had a fresh lavender plant maybe in their room to support relaxation, but you can use lavender essential oils in just a few drops in your Epsom salt bath. I like to use eucalyptus in my Epsom salt bath. That's very soothing and calming for me or peppermint and we know that both eucalyptus and peppermint oil are directly calming to the central nervous system, so helping turn off that stress state and put us into our parasympathetic state. Um, and then skullcap, I don't think I mentioned that. Skullcap is another good tea, but you can also get it as a tincture as well. Um, one other thing I do is, if possible, um, I will get my clients to monitor their heart rate or their HRV when they're asleep and just kind of see where the trends are at there so that can tell us if the body is in a stressed state or um, a not stressed state like we it can really tell us what's going on so um, the HRV being um, how how much time between heartbeats you have um, and your resting heart rate as well can be a good indicator of stress and health overall so if you have like an apple watch a whoop i have a whoop it definitely tracks it i'm not too sure about the fitbit i think it might but that can be a good um biometric to monitor as well and just once you see well actually my body is in a stress state going to sleep then we can take some step back so why what could be causing this and then if things don't improve you can look at hormone replacement therapy i do recommend topical progesterone to many of my clients so it's usually five percent progesterone um it can be hard to get your hands on here in canada but for my clients in the states it's pretty easy for them to get their hands on without a prescription i suppose it just depends on the part of the world you live in and how cooperative your doctor is to get you a prescription as well so that can be quite helpful um we can use topical progesterone around the neck behind the ears in the forearms so that can help a lot and then one last thing I do like to use and there's an episode coming up solely dedicated to this and it's GABA so it's gamma amino butyric acid which is a neurotransmitter um, and I use GABA a lot for helping with anxiety like it works so well but some of my clients their anxiety is so bad that 
I'll have them also take GABA before bed. So that straight away between the GABA and then the Tulsi and ginger tea and the collagen and then maybe some inversion or relaxation moves, uh, some breath work or maybe mobility exercises. Usually that combination works like gangbusters and that's enough to get someone into that deep, restful, restorative sleep. Um, and then of course, I'll have already looked at their feeding window, their nutrition plan, stuff like that. So there is a lot that can play a part, but the takeaway here is that it can be fixed. You don't need to endure or just throw in the towel and accept this is the way life is. So our biggest factors for insomnia and those hot flashes are going to be street, excuse me, stress, anxiety, worry, and then those blood sugar imbalances and alcohol. So we look at those, we eliminate those, and then we support your body. And as I say, we push it into the deep sleep with our adaptogens, with our amino acids, and then our good evening routine as well. So it totally can be done. My clients do it all the time. It sounds like a lot, but it's not really. And as always, if you have any questions at all, just reach out to me and ask. I mean, this podcast episode, I think is quite comprehensive, but I'm doing this a long time. So what I think is comprehensive may make no sense to anyone else. So you can reach out to me. You can go to my website, shemainsmodelhealth.com. There's a contact me button there. Um, or you can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, shemainsmodelhealth.com as well. Um, and if you want my email address, it's shemaine at findyourmodelhealth.info or you can use support at shemainsmodelhealth.com. There's lots of ways to contact me. Um, but I hope you found this really, really helpful. If you know anyone that would benefit from this information, of course, please share it with them. Um, and there will be another episode tomorrow. Um, also, if you feel that I deserve it and the information or the content that I put out is helpful, it would mean the world to me and help my small business a lot if you would leave me a review on your favorite podcast player. Only if you feel I deserve it, though. Reviews really help um, content creators like myself reach a larger audience and thus help more people. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Have a great day, you guys, and I will chat to you really soon. Okay, bye-bye.